Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament passage of 2 Kings. The book of 2 Kings and chapter number 6. The book of 2 Kings and chapter number 6. We are now on our final several messages. About two weeks worth of messages left in our series of the ministry of Elijah and Elisha. And as we are now focusing on the latter prophet and seeing him as he has now replaced his servant Gehazi after his greed and his heart was exposed, we can see that Elisha is now carried on and is dealing once again with the school of the prophets, this Bible institute that he was in charge of. And in here we could see some of the characters Uh, the character of these students, as well as a miracle that God provided for one of them in specifically. And if you don't mind, take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 2 Kings chapter number 6. The book of 2 Kings chapter number 6. And notice with me, if you don't mind, starting at verse 1. 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 1. The Bible says this, And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold, now the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us make us a place there where ye may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. And one said, Be content. I pray thee to go with thy servants. And he said, I will go. And so He went with them, and they came to Jordan, and they cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam, an axe head fell into the water, and he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place, and he cut down a stick and cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. Therefore said he, Take it up to thee. And he put out his hand and took it. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that seems unbelievable that we find in the book of 2 Kings chapter 6? The book of 2 Kings chapter 6, and notice with me in ver- uh, 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 6, the last phrase, the iron did swim. The iron did swim. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we hit this simple passage in this this message here, help us to be able to glean quite a bit about this and apply it to our own lives. That you would reveal to us, that you would illuminate to us, that you would show us more about yourself and how you work and what you expect from us. Once again, I ask that you fill me with your precious spirit. Let me not depend on my own intellect or my own understanding, but let me be dependent upon your moving and your working now, that you can get your own work accomplished in these good folks' life. Thank you, Lord. Give power and unction even now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we begin to examine this passage, the very first thing I'd like to show you is the character of the Bible students. The character 
of the Bible students. So again, Elisha has, is in charge of this Bible Institute. We've already traced this Bible Institute that Samuel was one of the first uh, uh, of the school of the prophet. He was the one who first gathered together. And it has been going down from prophet to prophet for a while. Elisha was in charge of it. And now Elijah is in charge of it. And we can see some things that are occurring within the ranks of these Bible college students. The very first thing that we see here is that they grew in number. They grew in number. Notice with me in verse 1. And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold now, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. So one day, the Bible students go up to Elisha and say, Hey, we need a bigger place. This place is too straight for us, which is in this context carrying the idea that it's too, there's not enough room. We're, we've got too many students. And praise the Lord for that. That's a good problem to have. That's a good problem to have one day when we have not enough room in the church and we have to figure out what we're going to do. When there's too many people and we have to come up with different things, how, what are we going to do with this? Well, that's what happened in their Bible Institute. Is that because of the miracles that have been happening, because God has proven that he's been with the man of God, many people have come to learn from the prophet. They've been coming to learn the Bible from them, beginning to learn how to walk with the Lord from the prophet. And they've been growing in numbers. People have been drawing in because they want to sit under the learning tree of someone who has that walk with God. Something else that we see about these Bible students is that they were willing to work. They were willing to work. Notice with me in verse number two. So they're still talking to Elisha, the man of God. And they said, let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan. And let us take every man a beam. And let us make us a place there that where we may dwell. So they said, preacher, this place is too small for us. But guess what? We're all willing to pitch in. We're all willing to do the work. So let every man grab a beam. That's a tree trunk. And everyone's going to go to work. So we're going to go by Jordan. We're going to get us a little place here. We're going to go and cut down trees. And we're going to start building a place. Every one of us is ready to work. And this is an important thing here. To have people that have a heart to work. That they have a desire to work. Now we understand that with their desire to work, part of it is because they were poor. They couldn't hire workers. They didn't have enough money to get a contractor and get someone to do a building. So they left their own studies to work. In fact, they were so poor, they had to borrow tools. So here's this one guy who, who says, I want to help out. And so he had to go to a neighbor and borrow this axe head. So these aren't people who, who are rich, but they are people who are willing to work. And praise the Lord for our work ethic. Praise the Lord for people who have learned how to work. Now we understand there's a difference between going to work and knowing how to work. A famous story is when uh, Pastor Clarence Sexton went to the Temple Baptist Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. And they already had a staff of employees and, and staff members and assistants to the pastors and and he went in and studied them for a couple weeks and then had a staff meeting and says, none of you know how to work. And they were all offended. What do you mean? We show up, we're busy. Just because you're busy doesn't mean you know how to work. They found out in the next couple months that they didn't know how to work and that there's an idea of working efficiently. Some people have the idea that when they go to work, that means they sit by the water cooler and 
they talk with everybody else and they're technically at work. Some people, they stare at a computer and try to think, what am I going to type? Eh? And then there's some people that don't know how to work. But if you're going to get things done, you have to have a work ethic. And we could see that the character of these, these Bible students is that they grew a number, but they were also willing to work. They were all willing to pitch in. Everyone was to do their part. They were going to work together to get this done. Something else that we see about these Bible students is that they were willing to submit to authority. They were willing to submit to the authority. During this whole thing here, they were all willing to submit themselves to the judgment of Elisha, to rely upon his judgment, upon him who was their biblical authority. Notice a couple examples here. Notice in verse 2. They asked permission before they went to build. Let us go, we pray thee. So they're talking to Elisha. Every man a beam and let us make us a place there that you, we may dwell. And he answered, go thee. So they said, you know, we have this idea, preacher, that we want to go out and build a place. But we want to make sure that you're guiding and directing in this. Is it all right if we go do this? And he said, let's go. Not only did they ask his permission before they went to build, they refused to go unless Elisha came with them. Notice in verse 3. And one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he said, I will go. You know, a characteristic of a good disciple is they like good discipline. What do I mean by that? We know that we live in a world that hates accountability. They hate accountability. And they think accountability is a horrible thing. Why do you have to be looking over my shoulder? Why do you have to be checking up on me? But someone who wants to do a good job and wants to do right, they have no problems with someone double checking and making sure things are going all right. To make sure that they're doing things right. To, to, to keep them doing what they're supposed to do. There's nothing wrong with authority. There's nothing wrong with the idea of accountability. In fact, accountability keeps us doing what we're supposed to do. There's nothing wrong with accountability. In fact, we could all probably use more accountability in our life to make sure that we're doing what we're supposed to. So these aren't people that said, hey, you know what? You stay here. We're going to do it ourselves. No, they said, we're not going until you go with us because we want to make sure that we're doing things right. We want to make sure that we're doing a good job. We want to make sure that someone's there to catch something if we miss it. There's someone who's willing to be under authority, under biblical authority. Something else that we see about the character of these Bible students is that they were honest men. They were honest men. So here's this guy in verse number five. Uh, verse 4. And so, they, so he went with them. And they went and came to Jordan. And they were cutting wood. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water. And he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. So here's this guy. He's getting ready to chop a tree. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to chop a tree. But he's not using a chainsaw. He's doing it the old-fashioned way. He's got himself an axe. So when you use an axe, you got to make sure you hold it right and legs braced and you start chopping at it. And you got to hit it at the same spot and you keep going and you have to get some leverage to it. You can't just do tap, tap, tap. You got to get some swing to it. And so he's swinging and he's swinging and the axe head fell off. Can you imagine what it is all of a sudden swinging back and now the blade's gone and all it is is stick. If you hit the tree, you would just shake. But the axe head, it's gone. 
And he can almost do the slow motion where it goes off and he looks and he watches as that axe head goes. Oh no! And it lands in the middle of the river. It's in the middle of the river now. I mean, that must have been a good swing, right? It's in the river. But notice what he did. He said, Master, alas, it's borrowed. You know, he, did, he could have tried to hide it. I don't know what you're talking about. He could have took someone else's axe and said, no, 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 this is mine. He could have tried to cover it up. But he was honest and admitted that he lost it, that it was borrowed. I need to take care of this. There is something about honesty. You know what people's first instinct is nowadays? Is to cover it up. Let me give you a principle. That as long as you're honest, God is able to help you. So many people do not get God's help because they're not willing to be honest. If you mess up, you mess up. What makes things worse is when you won't admit that you messed up. I shouldn't have said that. I am sorry. You know, that phrase there is some of the most powerful words you could ever say. I messed up. I'm sorry. What can I do to make this right? Most people try to cover things up. Most people try to blame someone else. We live in an entitlement age where it's everyone else's fault but mine. The reason why I robbed that bank is because grandpa used to steal. They blame everything else. But here is some character. These men had some character. Was it an accident? Yes. Was it a, a thing? He borrowed it? Yeah, but it was, he, at least he was willing to fess up to it. And because he was willing to admit that he was wrong, God was willing to help him. Something about character. So we look at these Bible college students, these Bible Institute students, and we could see they had some character. That they were growing. And praise the Lord for a growing ministry. They were willing to work. They were willing to submit to authority. And they were honest men. These are some good characters if you want to have some good Bible Institute people. People who are trying to learn to follow after the Lord. These are some good characteristics to have for them. But then we come to the miracle part. The second thing I want to show you is the concept of the floating axe head. The concept of the floating ox head. Now this is going to be some amazing things. Notice with me in verse 6. And the man of God said, where fell it? Hey, where did it go? Where did you see the axe head fallen? Again, you got a whole river here. It's not like it's a little pond. It's not like it fell in the ground and into the puddle. It fell into the river. And the man of God said, where fell it? And he showed him the place. And he, that's Elisha, cut down a stick and cast it in thither. All right, so I want you to imagine your mind. So this guy takes the axe head and he's getting ready to chop and it flies off. No! Elisha, I lost it. I borrowed it. I need to give it back. I, I told the guy I was going to give it back to him. But now it's in there. He says, all right, show me where it, it went. I think it went here. And the man of God said, hold on a second. And he goes and cuts down a branch of a tree. Okay. And he says, where is it? All right. And he throws in the branch of the tree. What's that going to do? How's this going to work? And then a miracle of science. The iron 
did swim. Now, I don't know how much of science that you know, but things that are heavier sink. Iron is not a floaty. Iron is heavy. And it goes down into the bottom of the river. And it doesn't have a lot of buoyancy. It is dense and it fell down. And so Elisha takes this branch, throws it in, and says, hold on guys. Bible college students are like, what? And the iron head swam. It floated to the surface. You said that's not scientifically possible. That's why it's called a miracle. A miracle is supernatural. It goes above nature. And our God is the God of the supernatural. Notice the Bible did not explain it. The Bible did not give the chemical formula of how it changed. And it's amazing. There has been so many scientific experiments, because they want to try to reproduce it, of trying to get this iron to float. And they've tried everything. They put salt and minerals in it. By the way, this is a big river, all right? So it's not like a controlled little bathtub. And you can't pollute the whole thing in order to get the axe head to float. So that already gets rid of a bunch of experiments. And they've tried everything. And guess what? No one could repeat it. Not within the, the, the same variables. And so some people say, you know what? That's where the Bible lied. It can't happen. It can't happen. And this is where we come to our display here. There are certain passages that the Bible doesn't explain. There are certain passages that the Bible doesn't give explanation for. He just expects us to accept it by faith. Just to declare your choice. Is God true or is he a liar? And you have to make up your mind beforehand. Do I trust God's word? And if you make a decision that I'm going to trust God's word, then things like this don't throw you off. But someone who's already decided in their mind that they think the Bible is false, they have a hard time with this passage. It's not true. It can't happen. There's no way iron is going to float on water. You can't make it happen. Not by throwing a stick in. I mean, I've heard people say, well, he got uh, a type of spice tree and the spices went in. And no, that didn't work. They, 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 they have people that try to manipulate it. What we have to do is say, I believe it to be true. Is it true? Do we simply believe it or do we deny God's word? And it all goes back to the fact, what do you believe to be true about God's word? There are several statements in the Bible that we have to believe by faith. Let me give you one. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You either believe it or you don't. And there are some that don't. I don't believe God loves us enough that he would send his own son. Okay, well then you made your choice. You either believe that verse is true or you don't. You, it's the same amount of faith as this axe head. Do I believe that God was honest when he put that in the Bible? That's the choice. Do you trust God's word? Do you believe that it is true? 
But something else that we see about this is not only do you believe it is true, but notice with me verse 7. Therefore said he, that's Elisha, take it up to thee. And he, that's that Bible college student, put out his hand and took it. So imagine this. Elisha took this tree and puts it in the river. And the axe head did float. Now the kid had to decide, is that really an axe head? Or am I just dreaming? Is this imagination? And if it was true, then he had to make an application. He had to have an invitation. Elisha invited him. If you think that is true, you need to do something about it. And reach down and take it. This is the concept that if you believe the Bible is true, then you need to believe enough to act on it. This is a miracle, but the miracle did him no good if he would not receive the miracle that was offered to him. So imagine if you, would, if you wouldn't mind, the axe head falls off. It's floating in there. And the kid says, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Or maybe he says, wow, that's amazing. Wow. But he refuses to take it. What good is that miracle if he did not take that axe head? It would be a purposeless miracle. You see, when we talk about belief in the Bible, it's not the idea of an intellectual understanding. The word believe in the Bible carries the idea of a belief that affects behavior. A belief that affects behavior. May I give you an example? Let's say that you have to get to Texas. You got to take a trip and you're going to go see family and they're a different state. And so you go to the airport and you say, that is a plane. I, I, that looks like a pretty trustworthy plane. Hey, can I talk to the crew? When's the last time this uh, plane's been maintenanced? Can I see the maintenance log? Does it have enough gas? I, before I get in here, I want to make sure this has enough gas. Hey, is the pilot, is he not drunk? Is he healthy? Is everything, is everything good? And you could do all the check on that plane and you could come to the conclusion, I think this plane could take me to where I want to go. But then refuse to get on the plane. Does that plane do you any good if you don't get on it? Absolutely not. How do you know that you believe that plane will take you when you get on the plane? Maybe I give a different example. I believe this pew can hold my weight. I can investigate it. I can see how sturdy it is. I could walk around it. I could kick the tires a little bit. I could say, to make a declaration, I believe this will hold my weight. But it does me no good to believe it if I do not act upon it. How do I know that I believe is when I sit on it and put my weight. I trust it. There are many things that people come to the idea, I believe that's true. But it is a belief that does them no good. May I give an example? Remember, there are passages in the Bible that we have to take by faith. Meaning that you make a decision, is this true or is it not? 
the Bible talks about in the book of Hebrews and chapter number 10. It says, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. What does that mean? It means show up to church. Someone could say, I believe I'm supposed to be in church. Praise the Lord. When am I going to see you there? You see, you can believe that, but it does you no good until you apply it. Until you pick up the axe head. You can intellectually understand anything, but it is not true belief unless it leads you to behave, to act on it. I believe I'm supposed to read the Bible. Well, how's your Bible reading? Well, it does you no good unless you do it. You understand? You can't stand on promises if you don't know what they are. But when you do know what they are, what are you going to do with them? This is why we try to teach the most important part of a church service is the invitation. You can go and say, that's a good message, preacher. You could even say amen every now and again. That means I agree. Amen! But just because you say amen, I believe, I agree, it does you no good until you do something about it. Why did God do the miracle of the axe head? To do something for this young man. He needed it back and God did it. That miracle would do no purpose whatsoever if he did not act on it. God gives us his word and we make the decision, do I believe this or do I not? Now most of us are not struggling with the idea, do I believe the Bible? But does your belief cause you to have a change of behavior? Because of what I heard from the Bible, how am I going to respond to that? We have to be ready, say, God, what do you want me to do? And then respond to it. This is why even the verse here, it takes a mention in verse 7. Therefore, he said, take it up to thee. And he put it out his hand and took it. Why did God even put that verse in there? Because he's putting an emphasis that he did something with the miracle that was provided for him. He believed God's word and he responded to it. May I give another example? The Titanic was a massive ship, the unseekable ship. But you know that so many people still believe that that boat would not sink even when the boat hit the iceberg. Even when they told people that they should uh, disembark and get the lifeboats. Do you know that most of the lifeboats were not even halfway full? More people could have been saved from the Titanic. But it was because they could not believe. And then their belief did not bring a behavior change. If you believe that I was going to die on the Titanic, I would get on the lifeboat. You know that there was enough lifeboats to save everyone on that ship. But yet they released so many lifeboats that were only less than half full. Because people would not get on the boat. And they died needlessly. So we have the two part here. We have to come to the decision, do I believe what I heard or do I not? And if I say I believe it, how am I going to respond? What is my 
invitation? What is my application? What am I going to do with this message? God does not give us a miracle without expecting us to pick up that axe head. God doesn't give us his word and deliver it and not expect us to do something with the information he gave. Otherwise, this is just entertainment. And by the way, I've had plenty of people that said, you know what, more people would come and hear you if you didn't have that stupid invitation. I mean, you have science and you have history. I mean, you're very dynamic. You could preach and you keep people, people don't fall asleep usually when you preach. I mean, you keep them very entertained. But the purpose is not to entertain you. The purpose is for you to get something here to apply to your life. What are you going to do with God's word? You say, well, well, how do I respond to this message? Well, you need to have your heart prepared with the expectation that every time that God speaks to you, that you're going to do something with it. And if you come with that expectation, God will speak to you more. Because he knows that he could trust you with his word. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.